Bibles tonight, turn to John chapter 15. By the way, let me just say, it's a sad day in America when preachers have to start preaching about being in church. That's not, that's not a healthy, that's not the sign of a healthy nation. When preachers have to preach at, at people about being in church, that's not, uh, that's not a good sign. That's kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know what it's kind of like, actually. <laughs> it's not very good, though. Amen. All right, John chapter 15. We're going to continue what we began Wednesday evening. On Wednesday evening, I spoke about the abundant life that Christ wants us to have. And uh, I'll review real quickly. On Wednesday night, the first thing that I said is that the abundant life is a fruitful life. And we talked about the fruits that, uh, that the Lord desires that we have in our lives. And I, I gave three different things. I said, first, the, work, the, the fruitful life is uh, seen in the works of the Spirit in our life, the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is defined in the Scriptures. Secondly, I said that uh, a fruitful life is manifested in our life by the winning of souls through our witness. And the fact that we have a witness of Christ comes from the fruit that is manifested by the work of Christ. And then thirdly, I said that a fruitful life is manifested in our spiritual growth. And we talked about these things Wednesday night, and I'm not going to re-preach that message tonight. But we are going to continue our study uh, into the uh, abundant life. And if you would, just stand with me for a moment as we read from John chapter number 15. And uh, I'm going to read the first seven verses of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Let's pray. Father, we ask tonight that you would instruct us, that you would strengthen us in our hearts and in our minds, that we would... Uh, Father, that we would live that abundant life that you desire that we do. Thank you for all who are here tonight. I pray you'd bless our time now together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Wednesday we talked about the picture given in John chapter 15, uh, the picture of a vineyard. And in this vineyard we have three principal uh, parts We have, first of all, the, the husbandman, and we, we defined a husbandman as a farmer, one who, who plants and, and nourishes and grows crops. And uh, the husbandman, Jesus tells us, is the father, is God the father. And then we saw the vine, and the vine, we learned, is, is Jesus himself. All life in the vineyard flows through the vine. All fruit comes from the vine. And then thirdly, Wednesday night, we saw that you and I are the branches. And apart from the vine, the branch has no life. Apart from the vine, the branch will wither, 
and will dry up and die. And, and we've all seen them laying around in our backyards, especially at this time of the year. Branches come out of our trees and, and fall into the ground, and those branches are dead because their life comes from the tree. And when not connected to the tree, they die. So we see this, and, and so last week we spoke about this fruitful life, as we said. But tonight I'd like to continue our study of the abundant life by examining the second aspect of this uh, vineyard, of this uh, abiding in Christ, and that is that the abundant life is an abiding life. We read just a moment ago in John chapter 15 and verse 4, Jesus stated, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Now, notice the words of Christ here in verse 4, where he states that the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. And all across this country, uh, as, as we know tonight, there are people trying to live lives that are pleasing unto the Lord. But the branch, Jesus said, cannot bear fruit of itself. A branch is incapable, if it's, if it's lying on the ground, a branch is incapable of bringing forth any kind of fruit. It must abide in the vine. Now, as I mentioned several times last Wednesday evening, Apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we, as Christians, as spiritual beings, will wither and die. We can do nothing apart from Christ. So my first thought here tonight, then, in this matter of the abundant life being an abiding life, my first thought is to understand what does Christ mean when he says, Abide in me, and I in you. And I think if we're going to understand what Christ is, is trying to tell us when he tells us to abide in him, I believe we first must understand the definition of the word abide. Now, when I look up the word abide in, the, in Webster's Dictionary, I find four basic applications. The definition I find is to dwell, to rest, to continue and to stand firm. Now, when I consider these four attributes of the word abide, I am compelled to assess this, this admonition by applying each one singularly before I can attempt to apply the whole collectively. So tonight I'd like to look at each one of these aspects of abiding as we look into this matter of abiding in Christ. So first, Tonight, letter A, let me say this. When we talk about abiding in Christ, we are to dwell in his word. The first definition I find for abide is to dwell. So I believe we could, we could correctly state here tonight that if we are going to abide in Christ and he in us, then we must dwell in his word and his word must dwell in us. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul states, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Often people will 
come in and ask to speak with me and I'll take them into my office and we'll close the door and we'll counsel together. They'll, they'll, they'll tell me what's going on in their life and, and they'll ask me to give them some advice. And, you know, I could sit across that desk and look at them and I could, I could give them all the, 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 the amassed wisdom that I have and that would take about five seconds. Or I can open the word of God. Where abides all truth and all wisdom? And I can give them scriptures and say, go home, pray, read these scriptures and study. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. The word of God must dwell in us in all wisdom. In other words, we are to take up habitation in the scriptures. We are to live in the word of God. In Psalm 119 and verse 114, the psalmist wrote, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. You young parents in here tonight, the greatest thing you can do is teach your children the word of God. There is nothing better you can do. Uh, You can take your son out back and you can teach him how to how to, how to work with wood. You can teach him how to, how to work on cars. You can, you can take him fishing. I, I plan on taking my grandson fishing and hunting and teaching him all about uh, his, his, his grandfather's culture. But you know what I look forward to? I honestly look forward to is time that I can take my grandson out on the lake and open the Bible and, and, and share God's truth with him. The Word of God. We must abide in the word of God. The scriptures to us are, should be a place of shelter, a place of refuge. When we're sad, the word of God will bring us joy. When we're in despair, the word of God will give us hope. When we're in sorrow, the word of God will give us peace and comfort. The word of God, the scriptures to us, should be a place of refuge. We turn to them in times of trouble. We look to them for guidance and strength. It is in them that we find all truth. It is from their principles that we establish our lives. It is by their power that we cleanse and purify our hearts and minds. The psalmist writes in 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And he answers his own question by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. But more than this, not only should we dwell in the scriptures, but the scriptures are to inhabit our lives. They are to take up residency, as it were. The scriptures are to move in, uh, not just come for a visit once or twice a week. Rather, they are to stay permanently, to dwell, to abide We're to make room for them in our hearts and in our minds. And again, in Psalm 119, in verse 11, the psalmist writes, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. In our Christian school, we require children to memorize Scripture. It's part of their curriculum. They're given Scriptures to to memorize, to hide in their hearts. But what about we as parents and grandparents and 
And, and what do we do with the scripture? Do we hide them in our heart? Do we take the time to, 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 to memorize scripture, make room in our lives for, for the Bible? Or do we on Sunday morning wake up and dig through the junk on the table to try to find our Bible so we can bring it to church? Is it under the seat in the car? Is it on top of the bookshelf? Is it behind the microwave? No, the Word of God should have the prominent place in our hearts and in our lives. They are to be an intricate and inseparable part of who and what we are. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, we read, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If we will abide in Christ, his word must dwell in us, and we must dwell in his word. We have all the entertainment we could want today in America. We have uh, DVDs, and now they've got these Blu-ray disc players. I get upset every time I finally catch up with technology. They come out with something new. Did you ever notice it's, it's, it's a ceaseless battle. Uh, we have DVRs. DVRs, so we won't miss even one second of our favorite television programs. After church this morning, uh, I went home with my son and my son-in-law, and we, we, we used the DVR to watch the 49ers. And we saw the game. After the fact, it's great. We have all the entertainment we want. We have, we have video game systems today to tantalize every nerve ending in our children's bodies. We have, and this one, these I really, I, I just don't like these. We have these reality TV programs to satisfy the lust of our flesh and all the, all the just things we wouldn't want to be a part of, but we enjoy watching But we spend little to no time in the word of God, by and large, as a people. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's find Jeremiah chapter 9. And we're going to read uh, just three verses. Jeremiah chapter 9. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 13. And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them, till I have consumed them. What shall we do? What will be the remedy for this calamity that we see in Jeremiah chapter 9. And by the way, I believe America 
I personally believe America is under judgment. I believe we're under economic judgment in this nation. I believe we're under spiritual judgment in this nation. At, a, at an alarming rate, our liberties and our freedoms are being, are being taken away. People such as you and I, before too many more generations, will not have the freedom to be a witness in our communities. We, our, our children and our grandchildren will not have the freedom to even preach freely. The day is coming in this country when a man who stands in a pulpit and preaches against things such as homosexuality will be put in jail. His church will lose their, their tax-exempt status with the IRS. Folks, that day is coming, and the reason it's coming is seen right here. They've, they've disobeyed the, the voice of God. They've put away his word. They've hid it from their hearts. So what is the remedy? The remedy is found in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, where we read, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. What's the remedy to the, to the calamity? Abide in the word of God. And let the word of God abide in you to the point that the word of God takes charge of your life. Speak of these words with your children at home. Speak of them on the job. Speak of the Lord in every situation in your life. To, to abide in Christ means that we dwell in his word. But there's a second definition to abide, and that was, that was to rest. So secondly tonight, I want to encourage us in that we are to rest in his righteousness. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Matthew records the words of our Savior, and he writes, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That's important right there. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, in my experience of the last 30 years in ministry, this is the place where most Christians stumble. I want you to notice the words that Christ used in, these, in this passage. He said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, I don't want us to mistake what Christ intended when he made this statement. Jesus here is not talking about labors of life. He's not talking about your 9 to 5 or your 8 to 4 or in some cases your 6 to 3.30 jobs. That's not what he's talking about when he, when he talks about labor. Neither is he speaking, speaking of being laden down with troubles or concerns. For the relief of these things would not give rest to your soul. 
They might give rest to your spirit. They might give rest to your aching, sore back. But they're not going to give rest to your soul. So what is he speaking of here? Well, tonight as we sit here around the Word of God, thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of our brethren are caught up in living their life by a set of rules or standards in a vain attempt to become righteous and holy in the sight of God. And this is the heavy burden that Christ is talking about. This, this attempt to live my life in a way that's pleasing unto God is, is, is a burden that's, that's far too heavy. Uh, for human works cannot and will not ever result nor produce the righteousness that they seek. Therefore, they will never cease from their labors and will never find rest. I said tonight we are to rest in Christ's righteousness. Christ's yoke, his burden, is, an, is a light burden. And it is light because he does all the work, not us. God is not impressed, nor is he appeased by my ability to do things. The truth that I cannot do anything apart from the vine is very important truth. And what Jesus is telling me here in this passage is he's saying, stop trying to earn your righteousness by doing or not doing things, and come unto me and take my yoke upon you. What is the yoke of Christ, by the way? Well, I jotted down some thoughts. Living according to the will and purpose of God, that is the yoke of Christ. Yielding my life to him and, and living according to his, his, his perfect will and purpose as outlined in the Holy Scriptures. We're to pray, we're to meditate upon the word of God, we're to witness uh, to, our, to all that we meet of the grace of God, and we're to worship the Lord with all our heart. What is the yoke of Christ? Sec my second thought was cast no judgment upon others. Rather, judge yourself. There's far too much judging going around in this country. Well, I don't think they ought to do this. And, well, I don't think that's right. And, boy, you know what? I don't think that this, and I don't think, and I don't think, and I don't. That's the problem. We don't think. And it's time we stop looking at what everybody else is doing and start looking at ourselves and saying, is my heart right with God? Am I doing what I should be doing? What is the yoke of Christ? I had another thought. How about this? Love God with all your heart. Love him with all of your heart. Oh, I tell you, love's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Now, if you're a teenager, no, love's not a beautiful thing. Leave it alone. But love's a beautiful thing, you know? I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy that um, I have a wife. I'm so happy that she loves me and I love her. And, and living your life in love is such a wonderful thing. And, and we should love God, should we not? And if we love God, we'll put him first in our life. We'll put nothing before him. We'll let no thing come between us and the Savior. Just love him. Uh, the, the, the yoke of Christ. How about this? Love the brethren. Love the brethren. Look at everybody around you for a moment. Look at these people. These are your brethren in Christ. 
Do you realize the world hates them? You know that? You know the devil, the devil hates, hates them? Your brothers and sisters that are sitting here tonight? The world hates them. The devil hates them. What a, why should we hate them too? Love them. Love the brethren. Now, you know what? Here's the thing. It's possible to love someone, but not particularly like them. That's why the Lord never said, like the brethren. By this, all men shall know you're my disciples. No. He didn't say like the brethren. Do you realize it's possible to love someone and not like them? And that's what we're to do. We're to love the brethren. Don't talk bad about your brother or sister in Christ, and don't let anybody else talk bad about them to you. Just, just don't do it. Love the brethren. If you hear about a, a brother or sister in the church that needs, that has needs, help them if you can. If, if it's within your means to help them, help them. Now, you don't have to go over there and say, here, I'm going to give you this. I don't like you, but I'm giving you this anyway because I love you. Well, don't do that. Love the brethren. How about this? The yoke of Christ is to love our enemies. Again, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. And this is the, this is the yoke of Christ. Stop trying to be holy and let the vine produce the fruit through you. As I said this morning, I may go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't love the way you want me to love. And God says, I know you can't, but I can love through you. You be the branch, I'll be the vine. I'll provide the love. You simply reflect the love. Abide in the vine. Exhibit his holiness. Exhibit his righteousness. And the vine, Jesus, will bring forth fruit in your life. He will cause your life to shine forth with his image. If we abide in Christ, we will dwell in his word. We will rest in his righteousness. Then thirdly, the third definition was to continue. And tonight, let me state that we are to continue in his love. In John chapter 15 and verse 9, we read, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Now, one thing is certain, and that is that Christ's love for his saints is unending. The one thing thing we can be certain about tonight is that Christ's love for me and for you will never, ever end. So tonight... We don't have to be concerned uh, to concern ourselves with whether or not he will continue in his love for us. However, we do need to be concerned whether or not we will continue in our love for him. But what exactly does the Lord mean by continue ye in my love? Well, there are many, many definitions for the word continue. However, the one definition that I believe is applicable here is the definition, and and this is it, to maintain in an unaltered condition. How often today do we hear of corrupt preaching concerning the love of Christ? Pretty often, don't we? You can turn the 
television to the, all of the uh, evangelistic channels, and you hear all kind of crazy preaching on the love of Christ. Today, many churches have left off of doctrinal teaching concerning the love of Christ and have begun to represent Jesus as this long-haired, puppy-eyed, effeminate man. One that would never send anyone to hell. One that would never pass judgment upon anyone. Now, I don't, I don't intend tonight to present Jesus as some mean old ogre. Uh, I don't want to cause people to think of Jesus as a bully. However, I think it is very important that we understand the love of Christ and not misrepresent it in any way. Listen, the branch, you and I, we're not grafted into the vine to alter the vine or to corrupt the vine. It's engrafted to bear forth the fruit of the vine, to bring forth all that the vine has and represent it in our own lives. We are to represent, as believers, the true love of Christ to this world. Oh yes, Jesus loves us, but his love for the Father is greater than his love for man. And his love for justice is not blinded by his love of mercy. We're not to alter the true love of Christ to adapt to man's perception of what he should be. This is why we must preach messages on the wrath of God. I I, I recall pastors' recent messages in in his preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Those weren't exactly popular uh, topics. Those those wouldn't be considered to be... A a lot of people would would walk away from that and say, well, that, that, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Jesus would never be like that. And many today have a misconception of the true love of Christ because Christ's love has been presented in a skewed manner. This is why we must preach messages. Messages warning men of hell. Pastor said Jorge keeps track of how many times he uses the word hell in his messages. I say stoke that fire, keep it hot because it's never going to die. Messages warning Christians of the chastening of God. We are not to recreate Christ into our own image. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds into the image of Christ. We are to diminish ourselves and allow Christ to manifest himself through our lives. This is why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul stated in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we are to continue in Christ's love. We are not to corrupt the love of Christ, but we are to continue. We are to maintain in an unaltered condition the truth of the love of Christ. And then tonight, lastly, we are to dwell in his word, we're to rest in his righteousness, we're to continue in his love. And then the final uh, part of the definition was to stand firm. So tonight, fourthly, let me say that we are to stand in his strength. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul states, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul, he appealed to the Lord three times that the Lord would remove his affliction. And God's answer to Paul was, my strength, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, Paul, I'm made strong in your weaknesses. We're to stand in his strength. So how are we to stand? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 together. Let's all turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. And this is very familiar scriptures, but let's just look at them for a moment. Let's begin at verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. For time's sake, I'm not going to read all the way through verse 18, but I encourage you to do an an extended study on this later and read those verses. But I want you to notice uh, verse 13. At the end of verse 13, Paul writes, And having done all, to stand. Now, I want, to, I want to say something tonight. It is true that when we have done all that we can and should do, God takes over. But I think there's too many people in this life that don't do what God expects them to do first. There are too many people that just come up to God and say, Okay, God, well, here I am, fix it. But Paul said, having done all. Now, there isn't, there, there, there's nothing we, we, we need to understand more importantly than this. And that is that God expects us to do what he has commanded us to do. If we do not obey the Lord and all the things that he's commanded us to do, then we should not expect that God is going to come riding over the over the, 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 the horizon on a white horse to the rescue. The Lord might just stand up over there and say, well, you dummy, you put yourself in that hole, now get out. We are to do what God expects us to do. What does he expect us to do? Well, 2 Corinthians six seventeen, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. A lot of the troubles we face in life is because we're running around with the wrong people. We're hanging out with the wrong crowds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 22. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. What has God commanded us to do? James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. But he giveth more grace, 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What about Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then I I think of verses like Psalm 27, verses 12 through 14, where David writes, Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What about James 4.10? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You see, God wants us to do what we can do. We can't fight the devil. He's too powerful. God knows that. We can't even conquer the flesh. God knows that. But he doesn't want us to conquer the flesh. He's already conquered it for us. You realize Jesus has already conquered the flesh? You don't have to conquer it. He's already done it for you. All you have to do is submit to him and allow him to reign in your life. We, we, we do what we can do. The things that God's commanded us to do, be humble, to pray, to, to, to not set wicked things in, before our eyes, abstain from all appearance of evil, rejoice evermore, and everything give thanks. These are the things. God says, do those, do all that you can do, and having done all that you can and should do, then stand in his strength. Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise. However, when we forsake God's principles... Be prepared to face the consequences for your carelessness. When students make mistakes, and I already know they're going to make mistakes, I tell them, I'll forgive your mistake, however, there are consequences. You see, in our society today, we want forgiveness from the consequences as well as forgiveness from the action. But there are consequences for our actions in life, and we, le- we need to learn to face those consequences. So sometimes, Christians, we may suffer. Sometimes uh, we may have hardships. But we stand in his strength. Even in those difficult times, we, we humble ourselves. We pray. We seek his face. We turn from our wicked ways, and God... God will heal our land. He will help us. But there are still consequences. You go down and and rob a 7-Eleven, and the police come along, you say, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. They'll say, oh, that's wonderful. Let's go. Where are you going? You're going to jail. Well, well, I'm sorry. Great, I'm glad you're sorry. I'm glad you don't, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll never do it again. But you still have consequences to face. God says, that's okay. Just stand in my strength. I'll help you endure the consequences. I'll help you endure everything you must endure. 
But you have to do all that you can and should do. By the way, you might be surprised how far God will let you go, let trouble go in your lives to teach you a lesson. And it is always for his glory. And it's always according to his will and purpose. So rejoice even in those tribulations and stand in his strength. The abundant life is not a life filled with material blessings. It's a fruitful life. A life that bears fruit from the vine itself. Not fruits from our own efforts, but from Christ. And it's an abiding life. It's a life lived by dwelling in his word. It's a life lived by standing in his strength. It's a life lived by resting in his righteousness. And it's a life lived by continuing in his love. Let us pray. Father, we do praise you and thank you for this night. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help each of us to abide in the vine, to abide in Christ. Give us that abiding love, Father, that you desire us to have. Give us that abundant life that you have prepared for us. I pray tonight you'd help each of us to to learn these truths and to apply them to our lives that we might live unto your glory and for your honor. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all